Darius Daniels and I get the privilege to serve as the, the lead pastor of this incredible spiritual family called Change Church. And, uh, and we're glad to have you, you with us on today, man. And I'm excited about all that I believe God, God's going to do. And um, we're closing out a series of sermons today from the series subject respectfully. And uh, I got some 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 kingdom keys that I believe are going to help us today. And uh, I want to jump right into the lesson, if that's all right. Uh, and so let's look together at the gospel of Luke chapter number two. Uh, and I want to begin reading at verse number 41, the gospel according to Luke chapter number two. We're going to begin reading at verse 41. This is what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. I want to talk from this subject. As we close out <laughs> this Tough Talk series, I want to talk from this subject, family fights. Yes. Family <laughs> fights. <laughs> family, this text here in Luke exposes us to an extremely interesting exchange. Somebody put it interesting in the chat. <laughs> we are allowed to eavesdrop on a Tough Talk between family it's Jesus the son attempting to articulate to Mary his mother that his destiny required a shift in direction that was different than what she desired <laughs> it, it exposes us to Jesus attempting to articulate to people he loved, valued, honored, and respected. That although you are my priority, you are not the only part of my purpose. Jesus <laughs> is exposing the sentiments of his heart by saying, you are my business, but I have business other than you. It's a complicated conversation. 
<laughs> but it's a, it is a conversation that will be almost inevitable for anyone who desires to live a purpose-driven life because sometimes purpose takes you outside the preferences of people who love you the most. Y'all aren't talking to me here. I, I said sometimes purpose will take you outside the preferences of people who love you the most. Sometimes purpose requires geographical shifts where you've got to move to different parts and places of the country and the world. And it puts distance geographically between you and those that you love most. That's a complicated conundrum. Sometimes purpose has to put you in a relational space where you've got to manage your circle in a different kind of way. And you've got to be strategic as a relationship to your interactions with others and people will often interpret that as you shifting on them and changing on them and not valuing them the way you used to value them that's a complicated conundrum and these are conundrums in any context but it becomes extremely complicated when it happens with family all throughout scripture we see examples of this. Adam had to have tough talks with Abel. Adam, Abraham had to have tough talks with Lot. Jacob had to have a tough talk with Esau. Joseph had to have tough talks with his brothers. David had to have tough talks, come on, with Absalom. Bathsheba. Had to have tough talks with Solomon. Peter, excuse me, Paul had to have tough talks with Peter. All throughout scripture, we see examples in both natural and spiritual family. Where there had to be <laughs> tough talks. What do you do when destiny shifts your direction in a way that's different? than the desires of those that love you raise you were there for you when no one else was and I believe Jesus here <laughs> who's the ultimate example of how to manage any conundrum uh, reveals to us in Luke here some best practices for doing so. I want to set some context here. The text opens, we read it, by informing us that every single year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Jesus at this point is 12. So this means for 12 years his family has been journeying from Nazareth to Jerusalem to go to the feast of Passover. Passover was an eight-day festival where people reflected on and rejoiced over God's provision for his people during the days of Moses. It's a time where they said, we're going to take eight days and remember the season and circumstance where the angel of death was coming through Egypt and God gave Moses prophetic insight and preemptive instruction to take the blood from a lamb. Put the blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over. 
being, being, being a metaphor for what the blood of the Lamb of Jesus would do. It would be a mark of ownership saying, don't touch this house because the blood says it belongs to somebody. Did you hear what I just said? That it belongs to somebody else. That when you touch this house, you trespassing on that which belongs to God. And some of the saints of old did not use theological jargon, but they understood this reality. And that's why whenever they were sense danger, they would say the blood. <laughs> the blood the blood the blood the blood the blood they would say the blood because they knew the blood implied ownership that this is God's property keep your hands off of this that when you mess with this you messing with God and that angel that pass over those houses and I know there's somebody watching, somebody in this studio that can look back over your life and remember some circumstances where some things came in the neighborhood, came in close proximity, came into your vicinity, but passed over. And it passed over because it's all the blood. Ownership. So God says, okay, Israel, every year I want you to pause to remember. And the reason I want you to pause to remember is not because I need to be reminded of what I did. I want you to pause and remember because you need to be reminded of what I did. So that when you face new danger, you get faith from old deliverance. Did you hear what I said? I believe remembering like intentional reflection is a spiritual discipline. Just like you have to try to pray and just like you have to try to praise, you got to try to remember when God caused some things to pass over. Because when you remember what he did in the past, it reignites your faith regarding what he can do in the future. What if I told you you don't have a faith problem? What if I told you you got a memory problem? And if you can get your memory back, you can get your faith back. Did you forget what he brought you through? Have you forgotten what he brought you over? Have you forgotten how he kept your mind? Do you not remember where you were? The condition you were in? How fragile you were? How frazzled you were? But how faithful he was? Do you not remember? Remembering is a spiritual discipline. He say every year for eight days, stop and remember. Every year for 12 years, they went to remember. On their way to Jerusalem, they may have been singing psalms of ascent. Because <laughs> yeah, some, of the, some of the psalms in the book of Psalms are psalms of ascent. They were songs that they would sing as they were on their way to Jerusalem. And the closer they got to Jerusalem, in their mind, the higher they got. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? I said the closer they got to Jerusalem, in their mind, the higher they got. So they will sing these psalms of ascent. I do want you to know that. Are y'all with me here? 
I, I, I want you to know that, that there's, a, there's a motive. God has a motive for the music. That you're not just singing to do some singing. The singing does some lifting. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, this is one of the reasons we pause every week in every gathering to have some praise and some worship. Because when you, because watch this, because you need to do more than listening. You need to experience some lifting. And when God's presence starts responding to the songs of his people, it starts lifting you out of the mood you were in. It starts lifting your perspective from a low place to a high place. Because songs are songs of ascent. Every year, they did this. For 12 years, Jesus went with them. I want you to catch something. So we could say Mary and Joseph were pious people. But even though they were pious, they still were about to have a problem. (sighs) Am I making sense? They, they, they still were about the problem. I, I want you to catch this. I want you to see something. The text says they enjoy the festival. Everybody starts to go home. I'm a little confused by this now. Let's not sanitize the story. Let's be honest here. The text say Jesus stayed behind and they unaware of it. Now I'm not judging anybody, but I need to unpack the story so we can see the significance of what God's trying to say to us. He's 12 years old. The text says they have been traveling a day before they even know he missing. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just trying to see as a parent how a whole 24 hours pass and you don't know where your 12 year old is. Y'all not talking to me. They were making assumptions without investigations. Come on. Watch this. And the text says, watch this. They travel for an entire day. Now they have to turn back around, go back to Jerusalem. That's another day. Then when they get to Jerusalem, it takes another day to find them. So you're 12 year old. Some of y'all, come on now. Don't, don't get mad in the chat. Don't sanitize the story. Mary's not God. Joseph isn't God. None of them are Jesus. So we learn from all of their imperfections. Come on. So you mean it's a whole 24 hours? You ain't checked to see if Jesus was hungry? You didn't see. Oh, what? (laughs) You didn't check to see if he ate? I mean, he's 12. You didn't check to see if he wanted some water? And they find him in the temple courts, sitting with teachers. Are y'all ready for this? Yes, sir. Now, if this isn't Mary and if Jesus isn't God, there'll be one word we would use to describe this. We would say this is irresponsible. I know you're scared to say it. But if this was any other circumstance, we would say this is neglect. It's a whole 24 hours and you had not checked to see how your boy is doing. Ain't nobody, it's 24 hours. Nobody asks about Jesus. Right. 
They, <laughs> I want you to see this. They find him in the temple courts and listen to what Mary says. Oh, this is making some of y'all so uncomfortable. Son, why have you treated us like this? Wait a minute. <laughs> I can't believe you did us, us this way. now so you got family that's offended when they committed the offense <laughs> no 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 you asking me why I do this why you do me like this you asking me how did I stay back I'm asking I could be asking you how'd you leave me y'all are talking <laughs> because at some point with some family members, I'm not saying parents, but with some family members, you might be in a place where you're dealing with the same situation and you got two different interpretations and they are upset at you and they the offender. How? How you upset? You say, how you treat my father and I like this? Your father and I like this? And Jesus could be like, how both of y'all go 24 hours and not come looking for me? You had weekend visitation. How come you didn't come pick me up? But you're mad at me because I don't want you in my prom picture. We're not close. Yeah. Speak Holy Spirit. You upset with me because you don't feel like I call you enough. But we never talk. You want me to act like we like we close and we not yet. Now we can do the things to get close, but we not close. Now we can argue about whether or not we should be, but we aren't. And we can make a decision whether or not we want to do something about it. But you can't be offended with me when you left me. <laughs> Are y'all okay? Now, this, I love this right here. Mary says this. And I love Jesus' response. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is wrong. I'm using this as a metaphor. He's not wrong technically, but I want you to see Jesus as a child and Mary and Joseph as parents. Okay. All right. So we could say Jesus is wrong in some sense, but I want you to catch this. Jesus is never wrong. Pastor Darius. It's, it's hyperbole. I want, I want you to follow me. Okay. It's amazing how, you know, you can spend 20 years studying stuff and then people just read something on Google and then yes. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Actually, Jesus is never wrong. <laughs> I want you to see something. I want you to see something that often happens in family circles. An issue like this would have typically played out with Mary saying what she said, Jesus saying nothing. And going home. 
come here. He, she would have said what she said. He would have felt some kind of way. Said nothing. And just went home trying to manage a myriad of emotions. Feeling abandonment and resentment and confusion. And ultimately that undermines the intimacy of relationships. Now, this wasn't the case with Mary, but if he was dealing with a hostile and hypersensitive family member, then he would have made the choice to just keep silent, to keep the peace. Because he would have recognized that speaking to a person that is not whole and healthy enough to actually objectively process my feelings would have produced an environment of hostility that would have overrode and overshadowed and been worse than the resentment that he's feeling. So it would have put him in a position where I got to pick my poison. I got to fight and be miserable or just be miserable. I'd rather deal with my misery than deal with your fight. Is this too real on this Sunday? I don't. In most family structures, he's feeling abandonment. He's feeling resentment. He could have felt like I'm too young to have to be disresponsible. He could have said, I, I shouldn't have to be raising my sister at 12. I shouldn't be the one at home at 12 while they out. You should be taking care of me at 12. I shouldn't be taking care of you. Y'all not talking to me. I shouldn't have had to give up my childhood. Well, I know we talked about relationships last week. I want to be your spouse, not your parent. Why do I feel like I got to parent you? In many spaces, he would have stayed quiet. Do you know how many people in families are suffering and silent? Do you know how many spouses are suffering and silent? How many parents are suffering and silent? How many siblings are suffering and silent? And I think we feel like somehow... Exposing some of these imperfections, not for exposure's sake, but for, for the sake of overcoming them and managing them properly. Somehow we feel like that's an attack on the family. When it is not, it is a willingness and a commitment to actually address where we are so we can really get to where we acting like we are. Jesus, though, didn't sit silent. He responds by saying something so interesting. He said, you didn't know I had to be in my father's house. Meaning this tension. Are y'all ready for this? This tension has just exposed that you don't know me like you think you do. <laughs> You're raising me. I don't think you know me, though. 
We stayed in the same room together growing up. But I don't think you know me. You my big sister, a little sister, big brother, little brother, and you gave me hand-me-down clothes. I don't, I don't know if you know me. I'm supposed to be here. I'm not questioning whether or not you love me, Mary. I know you love me. I don't know if you know me. And there are tons of examples of this in scripture. And I don't know why we ignore them so much. Like we talk about the David and Goliath story. But man, if you really unpack the family dynamics that lead up to that, it's borderline traumatic. So when people look at David's badness, there's no excuse for that. But when you look at the family dysfunction that he came out of, I'm like, what you expect? I don't know if y'all, if, if y'all know the story in terms of God sends a kingmaker, a, a, a man named Samuel, to Jesse's house. Jesse is David's dad. And all God, God told a, a kingmaker, a prophet, Samuel, he told him, go to Jesse's house. My next king is there. He didn't tell him who. He just said, just go. And then I'm going to give you, watch this, I'm going to give you information in a way that's proportionate to your obedience. This is all the information I'm giving you now. Now, when you get to where I'm sending you, I'll give you more. Did you hear me? So this is important because it teaches us you got to be willing to move. You got to be willing to move. Watch this as an act of obedience. Even when you feel like you don't have the information you need to make you comfortable with the move. He gets to Jesse's house and he says, Sammy gets Jesse's house. He said, Jesse, you have any children? Just says, yeah. He says, call all your children. And the Bible says he calls seven sons. Is that right? He, he said, do you have sons? He says, yes. Samuel says, call them to me. He calls seven sons. And the Bible says the oldest man named, his son named Eliab, he walks up and Samuel looks at him. He said, oh, he looked like a king. He looked like a king. And God has to, Samuel's a prophet. Another word is seer. And in this instance, the seer couldn't see. And God has to correct the seer. He says, I know you can see right, but in this instance, you're looking through the wrong eyes. You're looking at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. He not the one. So it's seven sons. And the Bible says, uh, it's interesting, that all seven of these sons come before Samuel. Now, some historians, historians suggest that one of the ways Samuel discerned who was and who wasn't it wasn't just by God's verbal proclamation, but by a visible demonstration. Some historians suggest that there was this hollowed out ram's horn that they put. We do know he anointed David with the ram's horn. So some historians suggest that that ram's horn had oil in it and that Eliab and the rest of the sons came underneath the ram's horn. And when Samuel tried to pour it, the oil wouldn't move. A metaphor for God's unwillingness to give your oil away. <laughs> yeah. That your oil is for you. Your anointing 
is for you. Your assignment is for you. Now watch this. Seven of them got to the oil before David did. But when something is for you, it don't matter who get there first. They can get to the city first. They can get <laughs> they can get to the place first. They can get to the application first. They can get to the opportunity first, but God will hold that oil in the horn. Until the right person gets underneath it. I came to tell somebody it's waiting on you. I came to tell somebody who feels like they missing something that God will hold it in place until you get there. I came to tell somebody if you're walking the best you can and moving the best you can, you didn't miss anything that was for you. If you missed it, it wasn't yours. Because when God's got oil for you, he'll hold it in the horn until you get there. Seven people come underneath it. And Samuel say to Jesse, these not it. You don't have any more. He's, you sure these are your children? He said, well, I got one more, but I know he's not it. Samuel said, send for him at once. We won't sit down until he get here. Now, see, we don't want to talk about this. We don't, we don't even want to talk about how Jesse, David's daddy, had a king in his house and couldn't see it. He has a king in his house and couldn't see it. Am I making sense? And when David came, the all flowed. Now, how do you think David felt? Because I think as a son, more than Samuel's oil, he wants his daddy's belief. Samuel's oil was not an appropriate substitute for his daddy's affirmation. Now, if you, if you understand that and you, you track and you trace David's activity after that, now it makes sense. Why he stayed in a relationship with Saul who was trying to kill him. Because the Bible says Saul threw spears at him a couple of times. And if I'm like, you know, the way I'm wired, the way my life is set up, you throw spears at me once. We not, I'm not coming back. The Bible says David had to elude Saul twice. I'm like, how are you letting this, how are you still? See, because even though it was abusive, Even though it was abusive, it felt intimate because Saul was still giving him something Jesse didn't. Y'all, I can go all throughout this. Abraham lying saying Sarah was his sister. Then Isaac lying saying his wife was his sister. Right? Come on. Then Jacob lying saying he was Esau when Isaac got blind and he wasn't. Then Jacob's sons lying and telling him Joseph got killed by an animal when they sold him into slavery. We don't see all this family stuff. It happens there. 
I want to catch something. I want to show you something. Let's, I hope everybody's all right. Here it is. If you're all right, put we all right in the chat. Just put, we all right. If you're not all right, put I'm not all right right now. <laughs> no, I'm not all right. Here it is. Here it is. All throughout scripture, we see examples of this. We see it mismanaged. But Jesus in this instance says, I got to be in my father's house. Here's a sticky statement. When we live on assignment, it will necessitate adjustments in the family. Yeah, when, when you live on assignment, sometimes it's going to require adjustments in the family. My wife and I laugh about this sometimes because, you know, early on, it'd be certain things. I'm a pastor. My kids have to do certain things. They couldn't do certain things, whatever. whatever. And, uh, you know, I told my wife one time, I said, if God wanted our kids to have another family, he would have gave them one. If he wanted them to have another life, he would have gave them another family. When you live life on assignment, it necessitates adjustments. Catch this. But this adjustments, these adjustments can produce some tension. Because adjustments aren't easy. And what we must be prepared to do is we must be prepared to address some of this tension. And I want to give you really quickly four areas where I feel like we need to be prepared to do this. Because these are four places of tension. Either you or someone you know and love that you might have to coach may deal with in family. (laughs) Woo! I don't know why we act like every family the Brady Bunch. They not. That's not real. So here it is. You're going to have to deal with adjustments. These adjustments you have to deal with are going to be based on people's expectations. Here they are. They're going to be expectations of four areas. One, they're going to be expectations of presence. Presence. What does that mean? Places and spaces where there's going to be tension. Listen to me. About where you're supposed to be. Sometimes it's where you're supposed to live. Sometimes it's where you're supposed to spend holidays. Sometimes it's how much time you're supposed to spend with them. Presence. Number two, there are going to be expectations regarding purpose. Sometimes, I want you to catch this, God's not the only one that has a plan for your life. Now, he has, the only, <laughs> he has the only plan we're supposed to submit to, but he's not the only one that's got one. And sometimes where there's pivots, there's, there's tension. When you take a direction with your life that you feel like aligns with God's plan for it, sometimes... There can be tension. I had to sit down years ago and tell my family who had sacrificed, invested, 
given they last to set me up for law school. I had to look them in the face and say, I'm not going. Nobody wants to talk about that. See, see everybody talk. See, when I tell my testimony, I was going to law school. I didn't go to law school. Like, praise God, you didn't go to law But I had to sit down with people that had invested in me. Did you hear what I just said? My uncle had bought me a car, a truck, a truck rather, my family that gave everything they had to support me. I was going to law school. That was the play. That was the plan. And I had to look and say, I know y'all did all of this because I go to law school and start my practice. And the... But I'm going to be a preacher. I have some tension. And I'm entitled to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm entitled to it. And defended when you don't do with it what I think you ought to. Because I believe you owe me. And if the answer isn't always yes. You are acting in a way that's not appreciative of the contribution that we made to your life to get you to where you are. And sometimes these expectations about possessions are based on assumptions they make in about what you possess. <laughs> ah! Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> that can create tension. And last but not least, there'll be expectations about not just presence, not just purpose, not just possessions, but power. If you got influence or access or relationships, sometimes there's an expectation that you leverage those to create space or an opportunity for people that you love. Yet, people whose character is not reliable enough for you to place the in, your influence on the altar of their unpredictability. It's like I did all this work to build this influence. And I don't mind using it, but I don't want to lose it based on you being who I've seen <laughs> you being who I've always seen you be and that's not a judgment but if I bring you in this room or I open up this door or I make this connection how it's managed is not just a reflection on you it's a reflection on me and my judgment 
that tension is real. And I wish I could give you straight, clear cut answers on how to manage that tension. The way you manage it is going to be contextual. Sometimes you got to discern when do I need to make an adjustment with presence? Sometimes you got to discern um, when or how to manage people who have a different preference as it relates to your purpose, but their preference is based out of love. It's like they love you. They wrong, but they, they love you. Does that make sense? So like people who wanted me to go to law school instead of seminary, they were like, they were right. I mean, in terms of like, when you think about it, it's like, uh, yeah, if you take care of your family, you probably want to go to <laughs> law school. So sometimes it comes from a place of love, but that doesn't mean it's right. You got to manage that tension. Tension with possessions. You got to manage that. And with power and influence. And maybe this has nothing to do with a lot of you, but I'm telling you. There are a lot, there's a large majority of people who are trying to figure out as a Christian. How do I manage this tension? And Jesus models something. Although I don't have four steps that apply in every situation and season. And I'm not supposed to. God doesn't promise that. That's why God gives you more than the Bible. He gives you the Holy Spirit. You need the, the, come on. He gives you the Bible for the black and white. The Holy Spirit is for the gray. There's some circumstances, it's not black or white, it's not right or wrong. It's, I could go either way. You could give it or you should keep it. It's like, you know, no, you could make the introduction or maybe not. It could go either way. In those circumstances, you need a relationship with God. You need a sixth sense. You need spiritual intelligence. So I don't have four steps, but uh, Jesus does reveal a principle here, and I want to share it with you. The Bible says as Jesus responded, it says they didn't understand what he said. Like they still didn't understand. But the Bible says this, Jesus left with them. He went home and was obedient to them. He went on home. Are are, are y'all following me here? What does he teach us? He teaches us. That when it comes to family, sometimes you have to learn how to exist with them without being understood by them. Some of us won't get peace until you give up your need to be understood. You can control if you understand. You can't control if you're understood. And some of our peace is tied to our willingness to give up our need to be understood. He was able to coexist without being understood. I mean, even when Jesus passed away, his mother was distraught. And Jesus was like, Mom, this has been the plan the whole time. Woman, behold your son.
And as a result of that, Luke 2.52 became his portion. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Father, I pray for everyone right now that's dealing with family tension. Tension about presence, where they should be, how much they should be there. Woof. Tension about purpose. Tension about possessions and what they should do with them. Tension about power. I just pray now that you would give them the grace that we see demonstrated by Jesus here, the grace to exist without being understood. To love them well, even when we're not treated right. And as we honor and obey you in this area, we thank you that it positions us for the promise of your favor. And I pray Luke 2.52 over every person watching. May they grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands in this studio. Put a fire emoji in the chat if God just spoke to you.